You awake? Yeah. I just want you to know I hate you. So is my dad. Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God! Why don't you tell me a story? How do you sleep at night? I don't want to hang out with a bunch of wannabe corporate sellouts. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a pod that exists to discuss and maybe set straight the rumor, innuendo, and hidden details surrounding some of your favorite bands and songs. My name is Brian. Hey, and I'm Murdoch here. We are the Story Guys. You can find us, we are the Story Guys, at gmail.com if you want to get involved, or we are the Story Guys.com is our uh, online home base. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we uh, we come together with a, with a very specific story about a musician or some rumor that we've heard or something that has been sent to us via the interwebs or the email. Uh, but tonight we get together because we kind of need to celebrate a guy we haven't gotten to yet on this show who is. I've heard him referred to as a lot of things in the last few days. You might say godfather of like rock and roll, but I think I've heard king and queen, like he's both the king and queen of rock and roll. (laughs) Yeah, he would say that he's the architect, the archetype, and the king. self-proclaimed like the whole michael jackson thing where he just decided to name himself that so little richard so little richard passed away uh he'd been ill for a long time uh he'd 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 been living downtown nashville in a hotel i think the hyatt um for a really long time really yeah yeah and the the oddest thing is that uh i mean now it's been decades ago he used to live in the riot house in los angeles so he had like a, a room like there. What, what is the Riot like the, House? It's like the famous like hotel like in the like, remember almost famous. Remember when they're going to the hotel to go see Led Zeppelin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Riot House. So he had a room, uh, like a corner room, and I, I read some people say a little Richard lived in the corner suite of the Riot House, uh, and apparently he didn't. He lived in a regular room with just a whole bunch of boots like different colored boots and stuff like lining the walls didn't have a suite so easily one of the most colorful musicians um to ever grace the stage of rock and roll he was one of the first 10 people that was inducted in the rock and roll hall of fame and there's a reason why for me he's one of the last two it's him and jerry lee um and so when when this happened you texted me and said how did jerry lee lewis outlive all of them (laughs) That, that was yeah. the exact text that you sent me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've seen some YouTube videos of Jerry Lee on TV drunk as piss. And uh, the story about him, like going to Graceland to try to go see Elvis and how he got arrested. And, you know, oh, and he, he had a near death experience. Both the, the similarities between Jerry Lee Lewis and little Richard are fascinating. Um, so they both grew up around the church right and they had a very complicated relationship with the church now a lot of that had to do with little richard never i mean i want to get to that but one thing that i read about little richard in all of this and you may be able to confirm or deny is part of what made him a little flamboyant seeming had to do with the length of his leg yeah he yeah his mom sent him to church hoping that they would heal his leg because his uh, i wrote it down his right leg was three inches shorter than the left that is it's like rivers crazy. rivers cuomo but now yeah right and 
the thing between him and killer the killer is um you know jerry league like openly like sort of like talked about how he was going to hell for like playing the devil's music and little richard would just kind of bob back and forth um where so so here's a guy okay i I have let me just sort of start at the beginning and we're going to go all over the place because it's you and me right right so his dad wanted to have seven sons and his dad probably thought that he failed because one of his sons was wearing his mom's curtains around the house and wearing makeup so he kicks richard his son out of the house at a young age yeah 15 i Um, I heard 13 but i mean either way too young to let a kid out of the house (laughs) and i've seen 17 you know there's got to be a mythology about the guy right but you know in addition to him going to church as a kid because his mom thought they would heal his leg do you know he was in a group when he was 10 years old he was 10 years old no i didn't i've not heard this and and before there's rock and roll right and they were called the tiny tots quartet and he's 10 oh my god can, can play the piano and they played churches and old folks homes remember like i'm old enough to when they called nursing homes old folks homes mm-hmm. and they played for they played for sweet potatoes <laughs> so how how old was little richard when he died um, I think he was 87. I was going to say, I mean, might... the guy has been around to see it all. And, and, you know, I saw some memes that I can't really vouch for the validity of that basically like listed very quickly all of the influence that he's had. You know, and it's, it basically had a quote about the Beatles, a quote about Bob Dylan, a quote about, I don't know, Tom Petty or somebody, right? Like how he's just generations of rock and roll, very uh, astutely pay homage quickly to, to Little Richard. Yeah. I mean, did he marry Tom Petty and his last wife? Yes, sure did. He officiated the ceremony. <laughs> um, and and I read that there was a um, I, I was just reading all these tributes and there was a guy who was a like a television producer, you know, guy. And he he had he had booked little Richard for this you know, this TV commercial and he's doing like they're doing like the the post-production like voiceover work. And he's got little Richard in the studio and he's super excited. Like he's starstruck, man. It's like Elvis, you know, I mean, really it is. Yeah. Um, and he's doing the, the, you know, the talk back between the glass and he can see little Richard on the other side of the studio. And he said, um, little Richard, will you do one of your trademark woo things for me? And he goes, Oh, you mean the thing I, I taught the Beatles how to do? And I thought, oh, there it is. <laughs> she loves you, and you know you should be glad. Yeah. Ooh. Well, I mean, it's easy to forget until you listen to the really early Beatles records that they basically were like a cover band for several yeah. records. And they were basically yeah. doing a little, you know, a little Richard Chuck Berry kind of stuff. I mean, that's. And those records are, are fine and fun, but like, you know, they're just guy so just kids playing music they're, they're nothing what the beatles became and people kind of forget about them but yeah those those first couple of beatles records are are just karaoke hour yeah and and uh they opened for him in 62 at the in the uk so, so before we get too far into his musical career let's go back to his dad for a second the yeah. craziest thing i read is about how his dad died oh yeah so can you believe that little richard's dad kicked little richard out of the house and little richard's dad owned a nightclub 
it seems like you what just a, put him to work, right? <laughs> what a missed opportunity that butthole had. How did he die, Brian? Just tell everybody. So there was basically an accident in which Little Richard's best friend kind of killed him, right? Yeah, he got shot outside of his own club. And after that, he he worked to make some money for his family, and then he moved in with a white family. And so, you know, his dad's dead. And so from there, he, you know, he moved in with that family and he was still singing and performing and doing stuff. And he got a, a record deal with RCA in 1951. So put that in your timetable and smoke it. When did Elvis go and sing that song for Gladys and son? It was 54, I think. Right? Golly. Right. Like when you really put it in perspective, it's like, oh, where was he? Um, well, I'll tell you where he was. <laughs> so that's 51, right? In 57, uh, he he split and dropped out of like sight. Like no one saw him. And he went and um, he went to the Oakwood College in Alabama to study theology. And that's where he said that he was ordained by God and he never um, got a degree, but he, he, for a while he was touring the South instead of playing Lucille and good golly, Miss Molly. He was giving a sermon called why I left show business. What? Right. And this was when the end of the fifties, 57. So this was after tutti frutti. Yeah. Yeah. So and Tutti Frutti is, is interesting in its own right because, you know, you talk a lot about – his timetable lines up with Jackie Wilson, right? And we talked a lot about Jackie Wilson in The Injustice of Jackie Wilson, partly due to – or the justice was kind of um, – history has done to Jackie Wilson because of race and a lot of other things, right? Bad decisions, et cetera. Oh, yeah. But, you know, so Little Richard writes Tutti Frutti, and it, it doesn't really become a hit for him, right? It doesn't become a huge hit until Pat Boone records it. Um, well, he, he always joked that, you know, the white kids had the Pat Boone record out, but they had a little Richard tune inside the dresser drawers. You know, that's the one they like. Um, but, you know, he he didn't make as much money off of that record as he should, because when he originally wrote it, they they rewrote it. So there's a lady actually who rewrote the lyrics. Um and I have some of the apparent, um, from what I understand, I, I looked at a couple of different places and a couple of different places verified that this was it. So if it's really it, it's not. But I, I have what apparently were the real Tutti Frutti lyrics. So I've seen a couple of these. And where I saw it cited from was the Library of Congress. So I think these are the actual lyrics. So go for it. Tutti Frutti, good booty. Yep. If it don't fit, don't force it. <laughs> If you can grease it, make it easy. 1950, song, 1954. Like people were really freaked out about that song being about sex. Well, it's like, well, that that song was about a specific kind of sex. Whew. And and so the in addition to breaking down the barriers of what it must have been like dealing with segregation, playing in the Chitlin circuit, um and really being free and having this freedom 
and breaking down the barrier of being a flamboyant person like you see Liberace on stage like that's how little Richard dressed all every day like all the time <laughs> for when he was right? a kid <laughs> just ask his dad right yeah yeah so um just I mean it, it's so wacky um that happened uh, him and him and Jerry Lee Lewis both had a near-death experience both of them um which of course like you know you can imagine if you're growing up in the church like how does that affect you um and so Jerry Lee had a, I, I, Jerry Lee had something, it was like an abdominal thing where he lost a lot of weight and he was in the hospital and like close to death. But little Richard had a, a fatal car accident. And I never heard about this. And it was in the eighties. And I actually have the date. I think it's 85. Do you know, Brian, that, little richard converted to judaism <laughs> really so this was so he, he had two religious conversions yeah so he he went to synagogue he observed all the holidays and he had friday he did friday sabbath too so is this so what happened he, later in the 70s because i know so you're saying that he he did the pulpit church thing at some point in the 50s yeah so this was 85 and, and then and, he, then, he, then it was judaism in the 80s because i know it happened again he kind of had this i mean you can see too this inner battle that he's having about the way he was yeah. brought up and about the things he feels about himself and if, if what can he wipe clean and whitewash yeah. And, yeah there's there's a lot to this guy uh besides all the drugs we're going to talk about in a few minutes yeah would you like to hear who basically was the person that he felt was he identified as a, a very close, like almost blood brother that brought him over to Judaism. Right, I think right. of a huge rock star. He might've been one of the first 10 people. I don't know. He isn't the first or second class of rock and roll hall of famers. I'd never heard of this before until today. And he was Jewish. Yeah. I, yes. I couldn't wait to tell you this. Widely known as Jewish. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Hit me. Um, that's uh, Mr. Zimmerman. It's just Bob Dylan. Really? So, yeah. So he had an interview, and I wasn't able to track this down yet. And plus, also, I've been messing with my work computer, and it would get blocked from me looking for a John Waters interview in Playboy <laughs> from 1985. But this is the quote. So I found the quote. So this is Little Richard talking about Bob Dylan. So he had a near-fatal car accident, and he said, this is Little Richard's words telling john waters right i feel bob dylan is my blood brother i believe if i didn't have a place to stay bob dylan would buy me a house he sat by my bed he didn't move for hours i was in pain that medicine couldn't stop my tongue was cut out my leg was all tore up my bladder was punctured i was supposed to be dead six feet under but god resurrected me and that's the reason i have to tell the world all about it and, and that's how he converted there, yeah. This is the car accident. Yeah, this is the car accident. So, we hadn't even talked about Hendrix either. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. We, we've skipped over that. We'll go back. So he was driving a sports car, and his leg gets broken. His ribs get beat up. They had to use the jaws of life, according to stuff that I read, to get him out of the car. Yeah. Unbelievable. And and who takes care of him? But Dylan takes care of him. I mean, really, how amazing is that? You know, 
it, yeah, I mean, and he and he in his I read his I told you like this weekend that I read his biography, but it's been so long ago. But I remember in the biography he talked about homosexuality being a you know a sin. And there's the word that I read today that he used was the word contagious. That's what he used in the biography. But John Waters, and from that interview too, said that, you know, privately he was like, yeah, no, man, that, that he, you know, he thought he was omnisexual. He was attracted to both sexes and it wasn't like a thing like that. But privately he was a very different person than that person that wrote that biography, you know? So let's jump back a couple decades to 65 when he's got a he's got a rock band together and and he's very rude to all of them if they don't perform to the level that he likes. And yeah, yeah, it's it's James. It's James Brown before James Brown. Right. He really was the template for a lot of these guys who have gotten more famous for these idiosyncrasies. Right. Like he he kind of set it up. And this is one of them. But he's got he's got a guitar player named Jimmy who he keeps yelling at for not wearing the right shirt. <laughs> and and now history has shown us that he probably should not have focused on the shirt that Jimi Hendrix was wearing in his band. <laughs> he might have just right. told Jimmy to play. Yeah. Little Richard might be the only person in rock and roll that fired Jimi Hendrix. Think about it. It could I, be true. I, I, Hendrix has been quoted as saying, bad pay, lousy living, and getting burned. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I heard that. So... I spent so much time this weekend reading about all this because I'm just, I'm fat. I mean, I don't know. This is like my DNA, you know, oh, all yeah. this. and I saw a, a really short video where Steven still said that um, he was backstage at a concert or he knew someone that was backstage at a concert and little Richard was screaming at Jimi Hendrix and saying you don't play that guitar with your teeth on my stage and screaming at him about the guitar <laughs> behind the back of his head and playing it with his teeth you know and, you know hendrix is just trying like he's clearly just trying it out like he's trying to figure out well and the, you know it, it, how he's supposed to showboat like how to do those things and i was gonna say like he's he's a guy who will be a showboat in a different way, but he's learning from a showboat, right? And the rumor was that if oh, yeah. if Hendrick or if uh, Little Richard got mad at you and you played in his band, he fined you. So it was it was like you know when you try to get your kids to behave and they're too old to spank, and you're like, listen, you give me that allowance money. He was taking fifty bucks a pop in the '60s for uh, not being the uh, person you needed to be on stage or around him. <laughs> That's a lot yeah. of money, man. And- and Brian, I don't know how much you know about James Brown, but that is James Brown. He find the band. So, I mean, for James Brown and Prince, I mean, they're, I mean, he's the godfather for them. Everything. I mean, there's so much rock and roll DNA that goes back to him where, I mean, there's androgynous with Prince and who knows what the hell there was with Little Richard. It was wild um you know it was completely there wasn't like a mystery going on there was something that was you know there was like this wild freedom in watching him play it's like if jerry lee lewis was always like incredibly exciting and wore like blouses and pancake makeup but he didn't do that right that's the difference between those guys Uh, and so, okay, so we're skipping around a lot, but we were in this. We we're in the '80s. We go to the '60s, come back to the '80s, 
he uh, he got married briefly. Yes. Yeah. Did you read about this? I I only saw it briefly. I know that he did drugs, which was weird because he didn't do drugs until like the seventies. Yeah, there was a. Dr- I mean, he basically had he had the like a period for everything. Like he, he tried everything. It right. was like, and and I think it's interesting that we keep talking about these other artists that he influenced because in some ways he kind of influenced the whole rock and roll excess stereotype because he he did each of the things that you if you were to make a list and say what are the things we're going to talk about on rock and roll bedtime stories we're probably going to talk either about like a car wreck extreme drug usage a religious conversion or some sort of weird sexual malfeasance and like all of those things (laughs) proliferate the uh the little richard story from the 50s until you get you know well into the 2000s i mean for almost 70 years yeah and like 20 years into his career he was a teetotaler he didn't drink or do drugs and then he started drinking and smoking pot and doing coke and lsd and pcp um he had a thousand dollar day cocaine habit do you know how much that was in the 70s that must have been a lot of cocaine (laughs) somebody get out the decade to decade calculator and let's (laughs) i mean i can't imagine it's so weird yeah it's fantastic this this is a lot about celebrating the guy right i mean i i do think we have to spend a little bit of time talking about how much how many drugs he did see he he did this interview with jet right where he basically said that i listen i did so many drugs and i was religious about it i mean and i think there's something to that statement because he was constantly trying to navigate the role that acting religious played in his life right i mean as we see there's several spots where he actually tried religion and then he's to say i tried drugs religiously but he really liked pcp which like usually when you hear about people who went through a pcp phase that's the end like that's the last chapter of the book it's not like chapter three is the pcp chapter but then later i get my life together and everything's good or you you know you you get out of that chapter really fast (laughs) he called himself quote one of the biggest cocaine addicts adding they could have called me the little white boy with the shiny nose that's so weird when i when i when i read i only read one story specifically about him doing drugs but it was it was a guy like a young kid and he was in like studio city or somewhere like a really famous studio and little richard comes in and it's just the two of them in the studio and little richard says hi and he's like really super nice to him and then he takes out the bag of coke and asks him if he wants to do any and he goes no and then he likes does the entire bag of coke in front of him and then went back and did all whatever he was cutting like the uh the tracks and then stayed up all night long with everybody in the studio telling stories he told people magazine that when he would blow his nose during that period of his life this is in people magazine so imagine being the editor of people magazine yeah you know and then just flesh and blood would come out of my nose whenever i blew my nose during that period yeah right i mean that was the other thing about this guy's like he was pretty open about everything all the time you know i yeah. mean he, he didn't it wasn't like this this isn't like a, a deep uncovering of little richard like people know this if they know much about little richard they know a lot of this stuff I mean, not all of it but he you know he did a lot of interviews and in a lot of mainstream publications like a lot of this stuff was compiled out of gq and uh i mean you have the playboy in the penthouse interviews but like gq and uh people magazine and 
you know, records in the Library of Congress. Like, he was very well documented. Yeah. And he, I watched a, you know, I was, I was going to, I watched this interview he had on Letterman in like 83. So it's like Letterman on NBC when Letterman was terrific. And Little Richard's not wearing a wig. So he looks totally different. And he's kind of on, but he's not full Little Richard on. It's the first time I ever saw him in an interview where he wasn't just 100% on. But he was incredibly hilarious and so entertaining and so personable. And it was so hard. Like I was watching it with headphones on laughing uh, hearing, you know, everybody in my house is like, what are you laughing at? And I was like, little Richard just wanted to have the biggest Cadillac in Macon, Georgia. That's all he wanted to do when he was a kid. But like the biggest one was the hearse. So, you know, he didn't want to have the hearse. Uh, so just the way that he, you know, the, the pain and everything that he went through with his growing up, because that kind of trauma would send people over the edge or have people living in pain their whole lives. It definitely feels like he shut the door on that and never went back and had a freedom away from that that other people didn't, you know? Yeah. Um, There's other rock and roll, real real famous rock and roll guys that, um, that couldn't get away from their trauma and their, their personal problems that they had, like even, you know, when they were a kid, things like that. So um, you know, Elvis, we've talked about him. Like, you know, he would lose, he'd pull off one of his toenails. He'd have to go get some Dilaudid. Everybody has their problems, man. Well, you know, one of the things that we've talked about too a lot is how artists, especially African American artists in the 50s and 60s, signed terrible deals. And yeah. he signed some terrible deals, specifically with this record label called Specialty Records. And he ended up like spending most of his career in a fight with specialty records on and off because he, he will admit when you asked him, he told jet in an eight, in an interview in the eighties that they were, I guess they were asking about regrets or whatever. He's like, hey, you know, I should have learned to read better. <laughs> like I didn't really know how to read. And I was signing stuff. And, uh, and, and so that led to him trying to undo some of these deals that he signed. Um, he they basically just wouldn't pay him for long stretches of time uh he sold publishing rights for 50 bucks on some stuff oh um, man yeah i mean just crazy stuff he sued in 1959 and settled for 11 grand which is okay 1959 money but it's still probably not what it should have been worth considering tutti frutti was out at that point um yeah, and that was all over the fact that he had waived his right to the royalties over Long Tall Sally and Tutti Frutti. Oh, my God. Yeah. In, in 1984, he sued them again for $112 million for control of his music. And they reached an out-of-court yeah. settlement, which I'm sure no one knows the details of two years yeah. later. On that interview with Letterman that I saw, uh, Letterman straight up asked me, did you, make, did you make a lot of money? And he said, well, my managers made a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, and that was the thing with those guys. All yeah. of them. Well, I, I read, I read several stories from these promoters that said that he was just the most wonderful guy, um, and that he would come in for a sound check and he'd talk to every single person and he would jam with the other house bands and he, he was just a lovely guy. And then 
the two there were two stories I heard that were almost identical where the promoter had said, you know, good night to him. And then he had to go settle up with his manager. And when I read that, I was like, oh, he's like taking the, the a page from Chuck Berry's book where they had to go into a room and the manager was in there and they had Little Richard's bodyguards who were clearly armed and they had a suitcase where the cash went. Oh, my goodness. And then they took that and they got in the limo with Little Richard and they left. It's like Chuck didn't have armed body, bodyguards with him, but Chuck had the deposit for the band or whatever. Like he was doing the same. Maybe I, I'd love, I would have loved to have known. I mean, both those guys are dead now. I'd have loved to have known if Chuck told him, like, yeah, man, you just get the get, get in cash. Just in case. I mean, I often say that if I ever get to a certain point of fame, the most important decision I'm going to be making is who is my manager? Because you need, like, you need the right guy. You need you need somebody who can be a jerk on your behalf and protect you from having to be a jerk. And I'm, I mean, I, you know, that's a crazy story, but like it was probably necessary at that time. I mean, oh. he probably, I mean, we already know he wasn't getting paid by his record label. Somebody's no. got to pay the guy. No, and the thing that you know, the thing for me that that sort of you know stinks is like elvis wasn't really in his heyday when he died but people loved elvis like right, when he died right. it was a, insane right um and and now it's going to take us like another decade or so to get past tom petty to realize like was tom petty like in one of the best american rock roll bands has ever lived i asked that i used yeah. to ask that in job interviews unrelated to the music industry they'd be like any other questions i'd be like greatest rock and roll band of all time yeah. American and, and and you know that's the American thing is that trips people up and my answer to that question is Tom Petty I, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers I don't, I don't think there's another answer to that question I mean you can argue for a lot of acts but Tom Petty's my answer across the board and there was the don't bore us get just the chorus like he wrote great songs but at some point just like Jerry Lee Lewis or Chuck Berry um like these these guys that were from the 50s that were the the main like they injected everything into youth culture into rock and roll into rebellion in the 50s like their canon of songs were like you know they were finite and they were done and when you think about it like you know elvis had a lot of tunes didn't write any of them um but you have to wonder how much little richard was marginalized because he was black uh, and he was gay and you know he got he got arrested in 55 for watching two people have sex in a car and i like did three days in jail he used to sleep in his car because he couldn't get a hotel room his band would get a hotel room and, and he'd have to sleep in the car and so i wonder how much um just basically being born black in america really changed how his legacy was was going you know and really like think about like elvis's comeback was the 68 comeback special and little richards was being in down and out in beverly hills with richard dreyfus <laughs> i mean i mean come on man he was he was the neighbor across the street 
I, you know, I, I had to think a little bit about Little Richard because unrelated to his death, I uh, was uh, virtually hanging with a group of friends this weekend and we decided to watch Bubba Hotep. Have you ever seen that? Oh, you better believe I've seen that <laughs> more than once. I almost invited you and then I thought, Murdoch's definitely seen this movie like five times. <laughs> um, but, but Some the, kind of Bubba, Bubba Hotep. The, the, the premise of this movie, which I wasn't really aware of until we started watching it, is basically that Bruce Campbell plays an old Elvis in a nursing home who has basically switched places with a Elvis impersonator so that he can hang out and just chill and uh and the other guy can take on the pressure of being elvis and so he's grown into old age and now he has some problems with his body and he's laying in a nursing home and he meets another guy uh who believes he is jfk who has been whose brain has been implanted into an african-american gentleman's body and the two of them have to solve the caper of why there is a uh, an evil uh egyptian god that is in the nursing home sucking souls out of the buttocks of older people sucking souls out of their butthole just say it say it like you need to say it say it with emphasis Uh, but but you know i mean you you, you're forced to think when you watch this fictional portrayal of of elvis in a nursing home right like god that's the thing about a lot of these rock and roll guys right is they die young and we've assigned this glory to that that they didn't have to do that they didn't have to live into that and little richard 87 years old and he's been in bad health for how long right we talked about jackie wilson and he was in terrible health and died you know basically almost penniless and friendless and you know yeah it's it's this really it's this thing we just like don't talk about and like now sure everybody's going to talk about i mean we're doing an episode on little richard we probably would have eventually anyway but um we're doing an episode on little richard people are talking about little richard there's a lot of tributes there's a lot of funny memes and tweets but like this is a dude's life we're talking about and we've had you know he was a huge part of influencing the rock and roll of the past 70 years and he lived alongside it it wasn't like he you know you talk about janice or cobain or hendrix even like they make the impact or they start to make the impact they die and then the impact is is multiplied and so it goes on and there's this legend around it but i think what happens in cases also i mean definitely there's a lot of merit to what you're talking about about the african-american um him being african-american what does that do to the legacy and what what was done to him to to stifle that legacy but i think there's also just like you've outlived everybody and yeah and now on the left yeah yeah and and you've lived alongside the legend and it's you've been overshadowed by what's going on while you're you know because you're living through it's just this really bizarre thing when we talk about the legend that people leave behind yeah imagine all everybody that just dropped like flies in 69 and 70 you know right i I mean, mean he played with he played with otis redding and he played with Jimi hendrix yeah. You know? yeah yeah and uh yeah and i mean i and uh, i even i like i remember as a kid of course my relationship with him as a kid was a little bit obstructed by my parents i mean because <laughs> just because of how flamboyant he was right they didn't really know what to do with that um but i, I remember thinking he was kind of a casino act as much as i knew what that was right like yes. oh you know yes. he's just kind of a novelty like you yep. know when some of the shondells show up at the state fair or whatever but what did you ever see him live i saw him at a casino sure did 
in Las Vegas too. I saw him in Las Vegas. See, it seems okay because there's there's no other venues in Las Vegas. You're you're very close to a slot machine if you play yeah. anywhere in Vegas. But it was it was there was some similarities to there was all all the little Richard stuff you read about and have heard about that that all happened. But it's very similar to Elvis too because like that show is right around sixty minutes. I mean, why was it? Any, why would it be any longer? Yeah. What's he going to do? He's going to come out and like do, you know, we built this city on rock and roll by Starship. <laughs> you know, need for any of that. Well, I mean, and that's the other thing, right? Like, so another guy who is definitely, who is still alive, believe it or not, and has had, I mean, in some ways a similar sort of career, but is revered heavily and plays big venues still is Willie Nelson. Oh, his 70th, 70th record is coming out. And so I was looking at my collection the other day because randomly something happened to one of my kids said something and I quoted a Willie Nelson song and I was like, I wonder if I have that. Just I want to put that on right now. It's like in the morning we're waking up living all in the same space. You know how it goes. And uh, and I and I pulled out what I have of Willie Nelson in my physical CD collection that, you know, is massive. And I don't have a ton, but I have some mostly from working in radio. I have like multiple Gershwin tributes like you know, it's like Willie Nelson sings Gershwin more than once like he did Stardust oh, yeah. and then he did it again like recently and uh, yeah. it, you know Little Richard didn't really I mean he didn't do stuff like that right so there's like this part of like outliving everybody but there's also part of it's like are, do you play the game hard enough and I mean I don't know if it was ever in the cards for Little Richard to do like covers of Khalid like uh, Elton John's been doing but like yeah or, or Johnny Cash like his career was resurrected like they do yeah, it at Inch nail song, which is still one of the more bizarre things yeah. that's ever happened. But by the way, the Willie Nelson Wynton Marcellus records, there are two of them, are amazing. They are the most to me, they're my favorite Willie Nelson records. I, you know, I we, <laughs> Willie Nelson's a, another episode, but we need to reread his book. I'm sure you've read his book, right? We need to reread his book and do an episode on Willie Nelson because some of the stories in that book are the most, they're so good. So, yeah, when his house caught on fire in Nashville, and he like went back in and got his weed and got got the guitar. The, the only two things he got out of the house. The best yeah. part about that book is how he like makes up these stories. Like, I don't fully believe the stories where he'll be like, and then I then I was mad and I got in my car and I drove down the road and suddenly the words appeared on the road and they said and it's like his biggest hit. You know, <laughs> you're like Crazy. that's that's Crazy not a feeling. That's not so, how that happened. <laughs> nah, it's not how it happened. And like the the songs that Little Richard. Um, created who the hell knows where they came from because they came from nowhere else and no one knew what the hell Tutti Frutti was about it was nonsense it was gibberish but you knew it was about sex and Long Tall Sally well that's dirty that's probably about sex um, Lucille no I mean everything about it was sex and it just dripped of it. There was nothing subtle ever about Little Richard. And I think that's why he's just rock and roll as hell. I, you know, I, I don't think it would be said better than that. So we salute you, Little Richard. Uh, man, yeah. what a career, what a guy, what a rock and roll bedtime story. Yeah. I do have two, two quick stories to wrap us up. They're awesome. Wrap them up, buddy. Okay. So um, Chris Robinson and I've already forgot the name of the Black Crows road manager. I just forgot it. Ah. Anyway, in 1990, they were in a hotel in a, somewhere. 
and little Richard comes on to the elevator and little Richard just starts talking to him. He goes, I bet you boys are in a rock and roll band. And Chris Robinson said, yeah, we're, we're from Atlanta. Uh, we're called the black crows and little Richard hugged them. So fast forward 10 years later, they're at the Kennedy honors and the black crows are there and they're, they're backstage and little Richard walks up and goes, Hey, black crows. I don't know if you remember, but I met you guys in the elevator one time. <laughs> and, and, and he's, and then he, he said, I think he said it when he first met him, but he said it again too. He said, you know, you really did that Otis Redding song really well. Well, uh, and I think the first time when he was talking about when he met them in the elevator, he was talking about hard to handle because that's when Shake Your Money Maker came out. Right. But then the second time when it was the Kennedy on it, like, so there's still sound check, like, you know, it's before anyone's there. And he walks out on the stage and starts singing and gets on the piano without anyone telling him anything and starts playing These Arms of Mine. Wow. And then, and then the story that it, the road manager said was that then he played it again. And when he finished, he turned around and I guess GE Smith, like the SNL band and other guys were there. And he, and he basically asked her, I guess, does anybody else want to play this with me? And then they, I, I, they I don't that. know. We heard you used to find your, your band members. I'm not sure we do, bro. You're, <laughs> you gotta go solo. Yeah. My shirt might be yeah. too frilly. Yeah. So, okay. So this is my last story in my, my favorite little Richard story I've ever heard ever. So, um, in case you want to go down a YouTube wormhole of rock and roll nerdum, there is a music festival that was in 69 called the Toronto pop festival. And it ended up being very famous because it was the debut performance of the plastic Ono band. So the Beatles are toast. Um, and on a plane on the way, like over from England, uh, Lennon got Clapton and two other guys on a plane and got hammered on the plane and they learned like Dizzy Miss Lizzie and Blue Suede Shoes and Cold Turkey uh, and Yoko had a song you know you can imagine how awesome that was anyway so so but but the plastic they weren't planned like they were like a late edition um, so on that night the doors are on the bill and they were scheduled to close the show. So there's a promoter that told the story. His name's John Brower. He's, he's actually kind of intertwined with like how the Beatles broke up and all sorts of weird stuff. Um, so he told this story that they were outside of John Lennon's dressing room, several of them, and they were trying to explain to John that the doors wanted him to close because they were concerned that if, if Lennon played earlier that people would leave after right. they play sure so this conversation goes back and forth about who should who should close um and it's not one of those you know arguments it's like well man you should close you know it's not like these you know where there'd be you know um you know but you're the headliner all all that so little richard uh turns down the hallway because he he can hear what's happening and says this is because this is directly from the other guy this is what he said little richard said i'll close the show the way it should be closed by me the king 
And you know Mr. Doors, and you know that Mr. Promoter, and you know that Mr. Lennon. And they didn't say anything because there was like, he said it, right? It's, you know, you got like, I, you know, I, I was doing this before you guys were doing this. And, um, but instead he, he went on, he was supposed to be on next and he went out like he didn't, he, he wasn't, he's joking. Like he wasn't going to like, I want to go on last. He went out and he's on in the middle of the day. But if you want to see some punk rock, little Richard, look that up where he played the Toronto music festival. Cause it was a documentary. Um, I forget who directed it or whatever, but it's fascinating. Um, seeing Lennon and those guys like uh, playing is not as interesting as seeing the big wig on little Richard. Um, you know, those kids didn't know what to expect. I mean, he was an oldies act by I then. I right? know in the, in the late sixties, he was an oldies. <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Rest in peace. Little Richard, man. 